the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, State Farm made an interesting decision down in Florida. And then, what are things that were normal in our childhood but that our kids do not understand? Jackie Hill Perry quits Twitter and later, should we abandon the term evangelical? You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today on this Tuesday afternoon. I almost did what you did, Aubrey. I almost called it Wednesday. But I know. It's Tuesday. What day of the week it is. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. Kids are almost done with school. Your high school kid's not done with school yet? No, he is on tomorrow. So he's a full day today, and then he has to go in for like an hour and a half tomorrow, which just seems so unnecessary to me, but it is what it is. And then he's done. But then my other kids, like I think like yours, Brian, are in school till June 2nd. So they have Minor. another like week and a couple days. Oh, mine are until June 7th. And their sister <gasps> no! got done. Their sister in high school has been done for a couple days now. So <laughs> oh, it's causing some angst in the Fromm house because my younger so. two. My younger two want to treat the world like they're not in school. And I'm like, excuse me, go to bed. You're in school. <laughs> so their sister is sleeping in and going out. So, uh, yes, yes, it is. Uh, school districts, can we please sync up the calendars? Uh, that would be helpful. That so would we're be glad so that, helpful. Yes, go ahead. It really would. It really would. So we're glad that you're joining us today. If you've missed any of the shows this week or the great Lyft conference we were able to do last week, just go ahead and get your pod, get the podcast, whatever it is, you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. All right, Aubrey, uh, we've been doing a lot of stories lately. You and I were just talking on off air that it feels like uh, it, our, our, our country, politically, uh, culture war, all this stuff is just going crazy. And we're going to do a couple of those stories right now because I don't know. Do, do you think – before I get in the story, do you think this yeah. is a fair statement? I think uh, the people on the polls are going more extreme both ways. And that well, we're kind of yeah. – a lot of us are kind of in the middle going – I don't know. I agree more with you than mm-hmm. you, but I really don't agree with either mm-hmm. of you. But yeah, it, I am think I, I told the, you. No, I, I feel like a political orphan right now because everyone does seem to be more and more extreme. And part of that is that's what gets rewarded in our culture with votes, with attention, with press, with more social media followers, etc. So I understand the strategy behind it. But then those of us who align a little more moderate are like, I don't belong anywhere. You don't. And we were talking off air about how it seems like people are just creating like more and more bills to be like, I'm going to pass this bill. Well, I'm going to pass this bill. And they're like extreme bills just like counteract each other. And it's like, there's no one thinking, there's no one with forward thinking, ignoring the noise and just like what's actually really good for our country and our people. That's what it feels like to me anyway. Yeah, I think the word is everything feels reactionary at the moment. That's good, yeah. Sometimes I want to, I want to like, 
here, but I'm going to go against what I just said, because sometimes I want to be like, hey, people, let's be rational. Let's have a conversation. And then I read stories like this one that I read last night that thankfully today took a little bit of a turn. Uh, let me just read the headline, Aubrey, because then I, I read it and I was like, certainly this can't be true. Ooh, let's hear it. But this is just at Microsoft coming from the Washington Examiner. This was yesterday morning. State Farm, so an insurance company, uh -huh. State Farm donating transgender books for five-year-olds to schools in Florida. The auto insurance company, State Farm, is encouraging its agents in Florida to donate books promoting transgenderism uh, to five-year-olds to their local schools or public libraries, according to an email shared by a whistleblower. The email revealed that State Farm has partnered with the Gender Cool Project, which promotes transgenderism in children through various advocacy and public awareness programs to donate a packet of three books to both schools and public libraries. The three-book bundle is being sent to children ages five and over. Now, here's the update to this. Because the whistleblower, not because they kind of came to their senses, but because the whistleblower released this and they got such pushback, State Farm has now uh, pulled this program. But Aubrey, I read this. I, this is where I feel like I'm losing my mind. Like, in what world are we like, hey, let's start providing books about any sexuality, let alone transgenderism, literally. to kindergartners? Literally. And I feel like we're reading more. Like, I'm not like Mr. Uh, Dog Whistle, Rave the yeah. Red Flag, yeah. Culture's Going to Hell. Yeah. But doesn't it feel like we're reading more and more and more? And we're like, you're an insurance company. What in the world is going on? And then this leads to the reaction, to the reaction, to the reaction. And we're in feels like this death spiral. But Aubrey, if I told you a year ago that an insurance company was promoting a three-book bundle of transgender books to kindergartners, you would not have believed it. But that's kind of where we are right now. I, I'm with you. Like the headline to me is, okay, State Farm, question mark. I know. What do you have to – and then – any books on sexual identity for a five-year-old. I just, I, I, like, that is the parent's job. That is not your job, schools. That is not your job, uh, insurance State company. Farm. <laughs> like, I, and I, I guess they're trying to be, I, I don't know, they're trying to be progressive and they're trying to get attention and they think this is like a justice issue. I, I mean, I, I guess there's some thought behind it, but this, this is starting, not starting. This is where I am getting more and more and more and more disturbed is that we're putting these adult conversations onto our precious little children instead of protecting their innocence yes. and protecting their becoming who they're supposed to be in their own time as they mature. Uh, it, it It's ludicrous, Brian, and we're not protecting yes. our kids. And this is I keep saying this, but this to me is beginning to borderline on abuse. Like we're expecting <laughs> our children to operate and think about adult things and that's if we can't protect our own kids like i don't know what we're doing this is this is this is baffling angering ridiculous i i yeah i i, I don't get it and then I, again i, I know don't. i keep repeating myself but like state farm huh well i know exactly like a good neighbor i don't right. think so <laughs> right so it, they're they're uh, the obtained email said that the program was to they wanted to recruit hundreds of agents and staff volunteers to, quote, help diversify classroom, community center and library bookshelves with a collection of books 
to help clarity, to bring clarity and understanding to the national conversation about being transgender, inclusive, and non-binary. Uh, it talks about how the one of the points of the book is that, you know, when you were born, the doctor said, it's a boy, but this wasn't true. Mm-mm. It's just craziness. Did you see... Gosh, I, I, you and I haven't talked about this. Did you see the monologue Bill Maher did the other day no. on his show? Oh, you need no. to Google it this week. Bill Maher, a, uh, an avowed liberal, right? Yeah. Like he's not one of these guys. He did a nine-minute monologue about what's going on in our culture around transgenderism and everything. And he called it exactly what you just said. He called it child abuse. He oh, said, wow. we are experimenting yeah. with our children. Yeah. And it has to stop. This is a guy who's, you know, he's not a he's not a conservative. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he brought up a lot of points and people are losing their minds that he was willing to say this. And you're like, what are we doing? I, and I think you doing? said you said something really important that if people who have listened to the show know that I believe with all my heart, when my kids were in kindergarten, I certainly didn't want them hearing about transgenderism. And they said, you know what else I didn't want them hearing about? How babies are made. I mean, that's it. That's exactly right. Not from, certainly not from anyone outside of your home. Like that is a parent's job as a kid is growing up. That exactly. And, and so, uh, you know, now that we've got like, I I just would love to know what was going on in that meeting at State Farm. Right. Where they decided this is a great idea. Their community outreach program where they said, this is how we are going to support our community. And so I do think parents, you need to remain vigilant. I don't think you need to be scared, right? but you need to remain vigilant at, quite frankly, it's so weird to say this because our kids aren't that old, but I feel like if I were parenting now, you have to be vigilant earlier than even we were 10 years ago. That's wild. Uh, It's just out of its mind. So anyway, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there for you right now. (laughs) Apparently, Thankfully, because of this whistleblower email things, uh, they, they stopped this program, but man. Just craziness. All right, Aubrey, uh, we're going to do a little nostalgia. We're going to go down memory lane here. Are you ready? Yes, so ready. Because an end of the end of an era happened in New York City yesterday. Uh, there is video of it on Twitter. New York City yesterday removed the last working <gasps> payphone booth in the entire city. It was in Times no Square. No way. They removed it yesterday. So there are no more working payphone booths in the city of New York, in the entire New York City. I Come find on. that fascinating. Don't, don't you find that fascinating? In yeah, one generation, payphones have gone away. I do. I think that's I think that's really, really, really fascinating. And like not necessarily sad, but nostalgic. Like it certainly brings on some nostalgia of like, man, that's kind of our kids will never know what a cell phone is, or a payphone is necessarily. They certainly won't use one. Um I mean, it's not like I've used a payphone in decades, but I have used payphones in my life. So you used to use them all the time, yeah, right? Like- yeah. That yeah, it's that's interesting. End of an era. You're right. Like You're I right. can remember even 20, 25 years ago, Carrie and I were engaged and I was on some youth ministry trip. Yeah. And I would want to call her because we were wedding planning and stuff. Yeah. And I remember searching out a payphone and oh going gosh. and finding one. Yep. And- Having quarters. At one point, was it less than a quarter? I feel like I remember moving here to Wheaton from Oklahoma. And all of a sudden, I was like, the payphones are a quarter here. And they really? were not that expensive in Oklahoma. 
Do you remember? Here's another one that I don't think We're our kids so will ever. Old. I want to have just like just a fun conversation okay. about things our kids will never know. Yeah, like and yeah. things that were from our childhood. Yeah. Do you remember uh, having like calling from the payphone? Like maybe you called your parents, and do you remember like calling collect? Oh, totally. And like we would have a code with my parents. Like I, if it was time to get picked up, we would have a code word where when they ask you to say your name, I would just say like Pizza Hut. And then my parents would know to come pick me up at Pizza Hut. Like that was like our big like <laughs> trick. <laughs> but yes, call and collect. Please, that was awesome. Please say your name. Mom and dad, please come pick me up. Yeah, exactly. Up. I'm ready. I'm at Ashley's house. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we totally uh, did that. So along with the with the payphone, I think there's yeah. a lot of things about phones our kids will never understand. Like putting a rotary phone or even just yeah, right. a home phone in front of them. Right. A, corded, a phone with a cord. A, a phone yeah. with a cord. They'll never yeah. know. But if you handed your kids a phone book, oh, they would have no idea what to do with it, correct? They would have zero. They wouldn't even know, like, what is this heavy giant thing? They would have no mm-hmm. idea what it was, what to do with it, how to even hold it. I mean, like that would, that would be interesting to think about that too, because remember how there was a cliche, like you'd hear someone with a great voice or a great actor and they'd be like, I could listen to him read the phone book all day. (laughs) Like you can't say that anymore. That's no longer a relevant, a relevant cliche. The other thing that um, Kevin and I talked about, and this wasn't even that long ago, like our, we used to, especially when our kids were little, like you would maybe you still have this, but we would DVR shows to like fast forward through commercials. And like, even that now we just stream everything in our household. So there's no like DVRing. And so even that our kids don't know. And that's fairly recent technology. Yeah. Now we are not there. We don't stream everything. We still have direct TV. So I guess I'm a little more old school, but no sitting through commercials. Here's a funny one that I thought about for TVs. So not, you know, I don't, I think all the TVs that I probably had growing up had remote controls and stuff, but I remember going to my grandparents' house Oh yeah, and they had, I could vividly remember their television. Like it had like 10 channels total, Uh right? It had the rabbit ears and so our kids would never know rabbit ears either, but you had to walk up to the TV and And physically push. And it would like be like, it would take a little bit to turn on. Or remember yeah. when you had to adjust like the, I can't remember what that was called, but it would kind of be shaky and you had to like adjust yes. it to get the clearer or like bang the side of the TV or something. Or like have to like change like the, like you were like the artist changing the color. Like I've yeah. got to move the color a little bit more. Yeah. But no, it wasn't just to turn on the TV at my grandparents' thing, but like it had buttons for like, all right, changing you push that channel. button, it's two, that one. And you just like, yeah. oh, it was, uh, it was yeah. wild. Here's one that I don't think our kids could ever understand. Man, I love this. I love feeling old. So <laughs> I don't think our children will ever understand uh, slow dial-up internet. Oh, like, never, never. Right now. Yeah. And so I tell my kids like, hey, the first email address I ever got was right. when I was in college. Yeah. Like, what? Excuse me? Right. Uh, but then I remember my uncle was the first one to ever have the internet in our family. Like, and so we were still in high school. My brother and I were talking about this the other day. uh, And we would walk over, you know, we'd be at their house, not walk. We would be at their house for holidays or something. And he'd be like, let me show you this. (sighs) And I can still vividly remember, like he had the disc for AOL. And it would would make all that noise. And we're like, (laughs) what in the world is this? And all of a sudden you're like on the internet, but it would take like, 
15 minutes it would. to and then load really up. the option was sort of like chat rooms like there wasn't really much to do besides like go to a chat room and talk to people you weren't necessarily like even looking up like websites for companies or anything right, like that at right. that time you know absolutely that is so that so is really wild what's something else that comes to mind that that was part of our childhood mm-hmm. existence but you're like my kids will never understand that i mean you and i have talked about this before on the show because you had my dream job working at a video store but i think the whole yeah. like rewinding something meaning like <laughs> yes. putting it in the machine pressing the rewind button i mean my kids know how to like scroll back if they want to start mm-hmm. a show over but like that's a very different thing than like taking the whole entity and rewinding it and then having to even like returning it to the store like even yes. that like you go to the store and you get the movie and then you take it back to the that's changed in just even I'm, the last couple years you know i'm glad you brought that one up because i as you said i worked at a video store yeah. for many years so i have like love for the local video store yeah but what our kids will never experience is, do you remember, it was like an event to oh, go pick out like a movie awesome. and get a pizza. Yeah, now get popcorn. you're just like, hey, what do you want to watch? Let's just right. church that. But like you drove to the video store. Then like uh-huh. your whole family was at the video store searching Picking for which out one. what you wanted. Hey, yeah. Watch this one. And then, you you know, finally you guys landed on something or two and you take it to the front yeah. and they hand you the – it was like an event. It like, was. And you wanted to get going, there early enough on Friday before yes. like all the new releases were gone. Yeah. We are going to get mm-hmm. a movie tonight. Like that mm-hmm. was a thing. Yeah, that was that, so that fun. I do, I do remember that. All right, here's another one. And okay, I think we've, we've joked about this one before, but um, now our kids – like your kids play more video games than my kids, but yeah. like my son will play PS4 all the time and play Madden or whatever. Like when we played Nintendo, it was no, it was not sure that that game was going to work. And if it worked, we all had these things to do that was like blowing it or yes. bang the side of it yes. or shake it. Yes. And every kid knew what you did when a Nintendo right. game didn't right. work. But now looking back, if I told my kids, Sometimes you had to take the game out and get low and just blow as hard as you could into the <laughs> Nintendo console, or you had to blow into the game. I just or yeah, you had to blow into the game. <laughs> like, I don't know that they have any kind Like, I think right. we had to work for our games to work. Like, that was the worst. You'd be like, oh, Super Mario Brothers isn't working right now. Blow in it. I'd be, I remember my brother and I'd be like, get, go blow in it. And get low. Like, get low and blow in it. Wait. <laughs> I love how you say Mario. That's I forgot about uh, that. It is it is a marital. even the size of the games like like it, you know we're people obviously can't see the size but the size of the Nintendo games were really large like squares or rec- kind of squarish rectangles yep, and yep. my the kids now either they download them so there's nothing or they're like teeny tiny they look like little like microchips yes. and th- I think that another thing would be like the um the like a usb drive where you yes. like are saving your files on or a floppy disk right you're saving your files on yes. that and you're taking it somewhere to have it like printed so you can turn it into your professor or your teacher us. yeah that was college for us. I that's remember, a game changer yeah and we'll we'll end it here recently i was in our crawl space and i found a box of college stuff and in that box of college stuff i found some discs no and I'm way like, what a different world so i thought our world changes so quickly, and that was another one. If you had told us 20 years ago that in 20 years there would not be one 
payphone yeah. in the entire city of New York City, I don't think any of us would have believed it. So mm -hmm. what will our world look like in another generation? Uh, who knows? Who knows? All right. One of our favorite pastors and authors, bloggers, tweeters, uh, his name is Scott Sauls. He I thought you were going to say Aubrey Sampson. Sure. That, on that top five <laughs> list, you're there. You're there. Uh, but uh, if you just stopped daily posting your Wordle score, you'd go up for me. Uh, well, now there's this gal from England and she's like waiting for my scores every day. I don't know what happened, but she's always like, where's your score? I'm like, I don't know who you are, Mindy Wilson, but you want my, okay. Um, so I feel like indebted to this, this lady in England. Here's my Wordle score. And so <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, so he, uh, Scott Sauls, he is the lead pastor, senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He's been on the show a couple of times. Uh, he wrote this on Twitter, Aubrey, and I think this is an important topic pastorally as Christ followers for us to wrestle with, like is what he says here true, but I'm more concerned with how do we grow in this? So Scott writes this on Twitter, all of history shows that the more heavenly minded we are, the more our heads and hearts are fixed on Jesus, his kingdom, his priorities, his loves, his concern, and his purposes, the more earthly good we will be. This is very much like a famous C.S. Lewis quote. Right, right. Um, unpack that. We'll dive into the specifics of this. Just unpack that tweet as a concept. Is he right? What's he saying here? I mean, it is kind of interesting to me because I think a lot of people would think the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. Like the more I've heard people say, too heavenly minded to do any earthly good. I've heard the opposite of this. And so it's interesting to me to think that actually, if we're focused on Jesus and his kingdom and his priorities, that will make a difference here on this earth right now. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I mean, I love it. I hope this is true. He says all of history shows that. So I think it would be interesting to hear like kind of what he's unpacking. But um, I, yeah, I mean, if, if Christians are actually focused on what we are supposed to focus on, the kingdom thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That on earth part means like we will see God's uh, like goodness and God's kingdom and, and down payments of, of heaven on earth now. Yeah. And so yeah. um, I'm interested to hear the, the all of history. So I guess he's probably looking at people like, like I've been reading through acts right now, the earliest right. apostles who like, I mean, th look, they were fixed on Jesus in the kingdom period and the incredible miracles that they saw, the incredible things that they did, the way that gospel and goodness move forward through them. I'm reading it now going, man, I want to see that in our day and age, like the things that they experienced and saw and did for other people. So I, yeah, I, I, I hope this is sort of like a clarion call for all of us to remember that these don't have to be divided. Like uh, yeah. heavenly minded is not divided from earthly good, but in fact, one impacts the other. Yeah. And I think of the apostles, as you said, in the book of Acts, or I think Paul talking in the book of Philippians, uh, that heavenly mindedness also allowed them to endure great suffering. Um, yeah. It allowed them yeah. to keep going with that perspective. It yeah. allows Paul to say in Philippians 1, right, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He had his focus uh, somewhere else. I just find it interesting because I think there he's right, right? Saul's is right or C.S. Lewis is right when he talks about it. 
that when we're focused on the things of Jesus and heaven as our home, but also living for the things of his kingdom now, those are going to produce good fruit in yeah. our world now. Yeah. They're going to bless people. Right. They're going to uh, make an eternal impact. Right. Uh, I, I think that is right. So let's ask then the difficult question here, Aubrey. He says the more our heads and our hearts are focused on Jesus, his kingdom, his priorities, mm -hmm. his loves, his mm -hmm. concerns, and his purposes, he's talking about the increase of that. How do we increase in that? How right. do we do that more and more? What What comes to mind for you? I think community comes to mind, like, especially going back to what I've been, what I was just saying that I've been reading in Acts is the apostles were part of a church community. And when they traveled, they were always traveling together. And so I do think sometimes we can think like, I have to do this on my own. I have to save the world or I have to make this massive difference or I have to. And um, the reality is, like we've talked about before on the show, is that because we have a communal collective family as Christians, it can mean simply like being a part of a church that's focused on being a good neighbor and yeah. that you're doing it in the name of Jesus. And so you, you do it like hand in hand with your church community or even with other churches. And then I think the other piece of it would be the keeping Jesus, keeping the kingdom a priority. And I would say that goes back to very simple, like, Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, be in God's word, be praying, practice your spiritual practices. We cannot get away, I think, from some of those very foundational, simple aspects of our faith. God's word, prayer, being in community, listening to the Holy Spirit, and then that will increase our both our affection for Jesus and then the outflow of our walk with Jesus will, will come from that. That's good. It's interesting how it does kind of go back to some of those same foundations, yeah. regardless of the conversation we're having. I right. believe it just kind of goes back and goes back. And why do you think we, because I think you made a good point that we naturally separate these two, mm -hmm. heavenly minded, earthly good. Yeah. We would say, hey, the more heavenly minded we are, the less earthly good we're going to be because we're just kind of focused on getting to heaven. Mm -hmm. Uh but as I said, C.S. Lewis famously linked the two. Saul's is linking the two here. Why do you think we separate the two? Why is that our natural inclination? Yeah, I think it's the, I, I mean, I'm going to go get a little like academic here. I think it's the influence of uh, like Plato's thinking in in our Western society that 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 platonic idea that the spiritual and the physical were separate. But that's not scripture's idea. That's not um, God's idea. Like for God, it everything is connected holistically, right. spiritual, physical. I mean, we saw Jesus like I was just reading another part in Acts where they did all these healing miracles and then they were like, now go eat some food. Like the, <laughs> you know, like the things were never separate. And yeah. so I just think we've inherited kind of a belief that like physical is bad, spiritual is good, and therefore they're separate. When in actuality, like, um, that veil between the spiritual and the physical is very, very thin. And I think that's God's intention yeah, that we yeah. find him in everything. That's good. So let's be men and women uh, who are heavenly minded, right? Yeah. We have our eyes on Jesus, as the book of Hebrews says, running the race, focused on his kingdom, his priorities. And then kind of the backwards nature of that is that we will do the earthly good that we're probably longing to do. We will make that difference 
uh, as we are following Jesus. So good words there from Scott Saul's mm-hmm. grateful uh, for him. And as always, we love connecting with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. By the way, Brian, yes. uh, speaking of social media, we've got our social media water cooler question up for the week. And it is this. In honor of all of the graduations that are happening right now, we want to know what advice you would give your 18-year-old self. So you can follow me on social media at Obsamp or The Common Good. Um, at Common Good Talk and let us know what advice you would give your 18-year-old self. We're going to talk about it later this week. I think there's going to be some good, good uh, answers, meaningful I, conversation yeah, from that. I'd encourage people to go check it out because we had a different question up there. So one person, <laughs> one person replied to the original question and their answer is still up there. And it's hilarious yes. because they were answering a different yes. question about what's your favorite thing to grill at Memorial Day or yes. something like that. Yes. So that's on my personal, if you go to my personal Facebook, Aubrey personal? Sampson, you will, you will find that. It is very, very, very entertaining. It's worth going just for the hilarity. Yeah, because absolutely. It, ironically, what they answered to the, to the grilling question kind of is good advice for a yeah. graduate. Yeah, that's actually actually kind of funny, kind of entertaining. Hey, uh, I want to say one other thing, Brian, before we dive into what we're going to talk about, and that is all month long, we're partnering with our friends at Food for the Poor. That's right. They are um, delivering life-saving meals to uh, Ukraine right now. And, you know, again, I was talking to my kids this morning, Brian, and I just, it is hard to imagine how long this thing will last. Like it mm-hmm. is just devastating. But what we don't want to do sometimes when these things last for a long time, we kind of lose sight of the pain and the suffering that's going on for those in Ukraine and mm-hmm. for the refugees that have left Ukraine. And so Food for the Poor is on the ground delivering meals each and every day. And we would love to invite you to partner with them by going to our website, 1160hope.com, clicking on the Help Ukraine banner. Anything you can give is incredible, but here's what's so awesome about Food for the Poor is every dollar you give translates into four meals. And so I don't know where you can like, you know, pay $20 and give somebody whatever that math is. Is, Do the math for me, Brian. Thank you. 80 meals. I can never do math. (laughs) Aubrey is not a mathematician. So anyway, again, uh, don't worry so much about the math. Just uh, give generously from what God has given to you by going to 1160hope.com and clicking on that Help Ukraine banner. All right, Brian. So we talk a lot about social media on the show, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. And interestingly, I've been noticing a trend on uh, Twitter, especially with um, some Christians. And so we talked about this last week, Ray Ortland, old school pastor, he decided to quit Twitter because it was becoming too kind of bitter of a place for him and it was impacting his own soul. I noticed earlier this week that Jackie Hill Perry, who's a spoken word poet, a preacher, um, an author, she just said, I'm out. This is too hard for me. If you want to find me, I'm on you know the other social media platforms, but I'm done with Twitter. I went actually today to read her status and she, she is gone. officially gone. Yep. And then um, Emily McGowan, who we've had on the show before, she's a professor of uh, uh, Christian doctrine at Wheaton College. She's an author as well. She just talked about, she didn't say she was quitting yet, but she said, I am so burnt out on Twitter. I am so sorry if I am not responding, retweeting, commenting to things that you're asking me or I'm tagged in. I just don't have the capacity to do it. And I feel like I'm seeing this trend from Christian leaders right now. That's three of 
millions, okay, mm-hmm. but still a growing trend of Christian leaders who are like, I cannot be on Twitter anymore. This place is too painful. Yeah. And I, I thought we could have a conversation about it because I, I have very mixed feelings about that. Not, I mean, I think people should do what they need to do. And it's not right. like they're leaving social media altogether. Um, but I think there's a part of me that wonders if in our own lives, social media has become too big so that we're mm-hmm. not able to like put limits or boundaries around it and have perspective on it. And so part of that is why we end up leaving. But I think the other thing is, I, I know I've heard Jackie Hill Perry and even Esau McCauley talk about how they felt like white evangelicals were policing what a lot of black evangelicals were saying, and they just didn't want to fight that fight anymore. And so mm-hmm. they were out. The other thing is we do see so much vitriol and people tearing right. each other down. And I, I don't know. I mean, the hard part is like, if all the Christians leave Twitter, then where's the Christianity on Twitter? Where's the voices of hope and good goodness? But then I understand like for your own soul, you may need to get off. So I don't know. I've got kind of not judging these people who are living, but I think I'm, or who are doing it. I think I'm thinking about it in my own life. And then even for other Christians who are listening to our show, like, what makes you decide when it's time to get off? Yeah, I, I, that's a great question because Twitter has changed, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what, what differentiates it from Facebook and Instagram is uh, Twitter has changed in a sense of, uh, I think it's become a place where people go to, I almost said debate, but not even really debate, but like to weigh in and be yeah. like, you're wrong. And it, yeah, yeah. And it's gone from like a place of like news gathering and Mm -hmm. some observations. It used to feel a lot more observational. Mm -hmm. Now it's a lot more, um, you know, you and I liken Twitter to kind of the old school water cooler. That's why we call our thing the social media water cooler. But in the sense of like, if you were to go to the water cooler in your office and just yell at each other. Yeah. Because there is a vitriol to it and there is a polarization to Mm -hmm. it as well. What gets noticed on Twitter uh, is the statement that's kind of outlandish. And so what you are seeing in the Christian world is the hyper conservative Christians are kind of going all in at people and the hyper progressive Christians are kind of going all in. And you're left with the Ray Ortlands or the uh, Emily McGowan or whoever else in the middle going, I kind of want to have some, you know, nuanced conversation here, or can we disagree on Twitter and not be disagreeable? And I think what you're hearing them say is like, why would I, why would I voluntarily be a part of a platform that people are, are just shredding me? Right. Like, right, why, right. Why would I do that? To me? And that's not happening. You know, I'm not that type of person or you, right. but like, these people of that level are getting that. And that's so, true. They are. And so you end up going, why would I do this? It's, it's consuming too much of my time and my mm-hmm. energy and my mm-hmm. thought space. I think those people should leave. And yeah, eventually Twitter becomes a spot then like other social media things have, where it's just the people on the extremes yelling at each other and yeah. being in their own echo chambers. And yeah. It's not, you know, Twitter is not the church. And so I think it is completely, you know, Jackie Hill Perry, if it's bad for your soul, leave it. Like, yeah, that's so true. Like if people are just straight up abusing you and ridiculing you, there's no reason to keep returning to your abusers. And you're right. Like Twitter is not the church. And so that's not a place where you need to, especially because she's so active in other places. Like I'd hate, I think I would hate to lose her voice because I do think she has such 
godly wisdom and has lived so faithfully. But I could see why, like, if, yeah, if you're just being ridiculed constantly, you don't need to keep returning to your abusers again and again and again. Just get out. Like, there's no reason. It's not valuable anymore. So that that's actually helpful for me, Brian, as I kind of think through it, too. Like, there probably comes a point when, like, it's not just that it's not good for your soul. It's that you're actually being, like, hurt and crushed. And, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to. You don't have to take that. You, there's no reason to. And Twitter is not the church. Twitter is not real life somehow this is a lesson we all have to we all have to figure out and then i just think on the other side of it is the way that we're treating people causing them to feel the need to leave twitter like hello that is not something to be celebrated we need to go back to our conversation earlier kindness and winsomeness i mean come on come on yep civility all right brian um you and i have categorized ourselves as evangelical Christians. Absolutely. Can I say that? That is fair. I can speak for you. Okay. We're not always excited about it. No, we're not always excited about it, uh, mostly because of what people think of when they think evangelical Christian. But uh, evangelical at its kind of base is that uh, we believe in the revelation of the Bible, we believe in um, like salvation and transformation. We believe in things like um, studying the Bible for personal use and for our life. And yeah. uh, we believe in like repentance and we believe in the evangelical message, like declaring the good news. Actually going out. That's at a yeah. hallmark of evangelicalism. Yeah. And yeah. that's one of the things actually then taking this message to the world. Yeah. Taking this message is good news to the world. We, we are the good news people. That's basically what mm-hmm. evangelists mm-hmm. are or evangelicals are. But unfortunately in our culture, I would say if you were to ask a lot of people what an evangelical Christian is, they wouldn't necessarily say those things, right? They would sort of say uh, political alignings or yes. very conservative or like, uh, you believe this and this and this about culturally versus yeah, this yeah. is your theological framework. Right, right. So the question, and, and we've talked about it before, Brian, but the question um, that our friend Tim Challies is asking over at his blog is, should we abandon the term evangelical? Mm. And his argument, he's actually talking about a book that came out recently by uh, Michael Reeves called Gospel People. But what he's saying is, the term or the word evangelical seems to have fallen out of favor and perhaps for reasons that are understandable where the word once had a distinct Christian meaning, it meaning in recent years, it has come to be conflated with politics as much as religion with civil issues, as much as spiritual. Many wonder whether the term is worth salvaging or Mm -hmm. if we should simply move on. Many wonder whether Christians should still consider themselves evangelical or whether it would be better to serve Christ's cause to find a new description. I'll, I'll tell you from the from the jump here that my husband Kevin is really wrestling this and wondering if we should like even not tell people we're an evangelical church. Like, and we don't use that term to be honest very often. But he's like, I don't know if we should do it anymore. I don't know if we can do it anymore. I don't know if it's right anymore to say we're evangelicals. But then, what are you? I guess Protestants, maybe. I don't know. So it's a it's an interesting conversation, I think, especially because the term does seem to be so tainted. Yeah. I, what what yeah. do you think? Uh, and Chalice is going to get to this. I would say uh, there's there's not other great alternatives. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Eventually, 
so if you guys aren't putting it on your website, we're an evangelical church here Which in we're West not. Chicago. Yeah, yeah. What you're really saying is, what are you going to say when somebody comes to you and says, are you an evangelical church? Right, you, right. You're not proclaiming it. You're really asking, how do we answer yeah. that question? Yeah. And there's no alternative, right. right? It's not, if somebody comes to you and they know enough to know that term and they're like, hey, Aubrey and Kevin, are you an evangelical mm -hmm. church? No, we're Protestant. Okay. But, <laughs> but right. because people know that underneath Protestant is even, and so yes. it becomes difficult. I think the answer more so is to help people understand the original tenets of that term, mm. help them understand your um, what makes you uncomfortable about it, yeah, and try to try to start living out as a church what it actually is supposed yeah. to mean, yeah. And so I think that's it. It's not like we're choosing between multiple terms and going. Right. Well, I used to choose, choose evangelical, but now I choose this. It's mm -hmm. that, that's the difficulty of it. So that's what I would say. Uh, I would say it's a term where, well, here, he writes, Chalice even says this. He's talking about a book by this guy. His last name is Reeves. He says, Reeves determines that evangelical is too good a word to lose and too significant a term to abandon. Thus, it falls to us to embrace it and then ensure we are living worthy of it. Hmm. The word evangelical has centuries of pedigree for a good reason. It may have lost some of its value in some places, but that can be regained through reinvestment. And where else can we people be and where else can we people of the gospel go? There really is no acceptable and viable alternative with anything like the historical weight or the descriptive simplicity. And I would kind of fall there like it, it's easy to say, I don't want to be that, but then you got to create this whole new category. That's going to be confusing for people. So yes, I want to separate it from the political stuff and yeah. other stuff. Yeah. So I guess like anything, it's going to require some teaching, some, yeah. uh, but then also just living it out. Yeah. I actually think it might be time for a new name. And I think in the next few years, we're going to see some trend arise. Someone's going to coin a new term that's sort of like, you're not an ex-evangelical, but you don't want to align yourselves politically with Trump, for instance. And so now you are blah, 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 like neo-evangelical or, or some term like that, post-evangelical, something like that is going to, I guess, is going to arise. And I, I actually don't know that the term can be salvaged in this day and age just because the political affiliations are so, so deep for people. But I do think it's right, like when you're asked or when you talked about it until that new phrase comes, I do think it's right and good to say, but here's what I mean by evangelical. And here's what I don't mean by evangelical yeah, and yeah. just sort of name the the elephant in the room for people. Um, and and, you know, go back to, like you said, some teaching on what what the term actually means. But I think our language shifts so much culturally that I don't know if it's a winning battle. I think it's probably time. Maybe, Maybe. we'll come up with it and we'll start a hashtag, Brian. There you go. Here's the difficulty of it is because this is, this is what makes it difficult. You're, you're, what you're suggesting is we need to come up for a, with a new term for the exact same thing without the <laughs> cultural baggage. That's and it. I think people can see through that though. They're going to go, wait, so you're an evangelical. Like, let's right. just cut to the chase. Right. So you're, what it's going to require of all of us is to say, listen, this is, I understand the baggage that comes with that. Here's what I mean when I say it. I, I just don't think the term necessarily, 
I don't think there's going to be widespread, like, here's our new term. Yeah, Because people are still going to attach the same baggage to it. They're still going to go, but you're just you're rewrapping what what it was and so i think it's i think it's going to be you are saying the political i i do not align politically the way that you think evangelical christians align and so i do think that's i think that's a major marker for people and so that's why i think it's a new term will be birthed at some point i don't and a certain group of people start using it i think we've been trying to birth a new term for two generations like trying to go ever since in the 80s the term evangelical was getting kind of politicized yeah uh, because the first question i would ask you if you said this is what i am now and i mm-hmm. wasn't a christian i'd go okay tell me your politics of that right if right. you're not if you don't agree with the evangelical politics tell me the politics of this well we're not really political okay yeah. but I, I, it's just gonna I, it's just semantics now uh, what i want to say is though where i think you and i agree is i want to very much say I want to distance what evangelical totally. has become culturally. Yeah. I don't think, I just don't think that we distance it by a new name. I think we distance it by how we live and through telling people why we disagree with it. So yeah. maybe, maybe the problem here is titles in general. Yeah, right? maybe like, so. Maybe so. Maybe, maybe that's the problem here. But yeah, I think where we're going to definitely agree is there's some baggage that have been hung on the term that neither of us are comfortable with that we want to push back against totally sure. like remove ourselves with there there's there's quite a bit quite a bit of that baggage for sure ladies and gentlemen it's time for some good news it's the end of today's show the end of every show we love to bring you something inspiring challenging or something to put a smile on your face and a place that i have just loved to go to each and every week brian is the week they have this briefing called it wasn't all bad and they just put together like good news stories of the week and they always put a smile on your face i love sharing these with our listeners and i love reading them myself so i'll jump in with the first one if you're ready for it brian yeah this first one i saw on the today show it's crazy oh okay i haven't heard this one here we go Passenger with no flight experience safely lands plane. This is a movie waiting to happen for sure. Mm -hmm. Darren Harrison had no flight experience, but when the pilot of the single engine plane he was riding in had a sudden medical emergency, he jumped out of his seat and took over the controls. Come on. Last Tuesday, Harrison was flying back to Florida on a Cessna 208 after after a fishing trip to the Bahamas. The pilot said he wasn't feeling well and slumped over. This is my Mm. nightmare come true, by the way. And the plane went into a nosedive. Harrison moved the pilot out of the way and contacted air traffic control to explain the situation. The controllers guided Harrison into a gradual descent to Palm Beach International Airport. I was pretty calm and collected the whole time because I knew it was a life or death situation, Harrison told today. To the relief of everyone, Harrison safely landed the plane and controllers instructed him on how to use the brakes. Grateful to be back on land, Harrison said he thanked everyone for helping him and then said the biggest prayer I've ever said in my life. Yeah, I bet he did. How crazy that he was like, I was calm and collected because it was a life or death situation. No, it's I know. The well, right. Fight or flight. Like this guy is definitely not. I don't, he's flight. Obviously he's flying flight. all the way. That and is it, amazing. An important side note to that story. The original pilot ended up being fine. It wasn't oh, that like is he an died or had a heart note. attack or something. So he ended up okay. That but, man, is so crazy. wild. That is so scary. I don't know that I would have the um, 
sort of the common collectedness that he had to even think no. to call air traffic control. Like I imagine this was happening pretty quickly. And so exactly. it, it's amazing, amazing he, story. And I watched the interview, as I said, a pretty cool dude. Like you were like, oh, that's the type of guy who would like land. A oh, plane really? And, and, nice. Yeah, it, was, nice. it was the guy you'd expect to be that story was the guy. So, nice. That's awesome. Right. Second one. First, another medical emergency one. First grade students jump into action to help teacher during medical emergency. Tracy Hodges is a first grade teacher in Alabama. Back in January, she noticed her vision becoming blurry and lost consciousness. Hodges remembers asking for help before falling, and all 12 of her students rose to the occasion. Two kids remained in the classroom with Hodges, and the rest spread out with some running to find the nurse and others looking for teachers. Uh, she was taken to the hospital where she found out she had a COVID-19 <gasps> induced seizure. Whoa. Hodges told USA Today she had no idea that she was even sick and was grateful to have been at the right place at the right time because they took care of me. Wow. Hodges is proud of her students' bravery and kids, now dubbed Hodges Heroes, Aww. have been recognized by local officials and the Dole Food oh. Company, which named them Healthy Heroes. They received medals, certificates, and capes. But if you ask six-year-old Dalton Widener, they didn't do anything out of the ordinary. This little six-year-old said, any student would have done it if they were here. Oh, stop it. That's so cute. There's a picture of them at theweek.com, all the kids in their capes and their masks, and it's pretty cute. I was hoping they'd all have dull pineapples too, but you can't can't do everything. All right. uh, Here's the third story. A college student who gave birth before graduation, was surprised with ceremony at the hospital. Jada Sales received two special deliveries over the weekend. On Friday evening, Sales went into labor, and she gave birth to her son on Saturday, the same day she was supposed to graduate from Dillard University in New Orleans. I was scheduled to get induced Saturday at 5 p.m., she told the news station there. So after graduation, I was planning on heading to the hospital. What?! Dr. Walter Kimbrough, the university's president, didn't want Sales to miss out on the celebration and went to the hospital to confer her degree. Listen to this. Sales wore her cap and gown and her family, including newborn Easton, witnessed the mini ceremony. Sales earned her bachelor's degree in criminal justice with an emphasis in pre-law, and her goal is to attend law school. She told the news station of, and other college other college students should know that even when it seems like the odds are against them, they can finish school. You can do it with a kid. You can do it without a kid. You can do it pregnant. You can do it not pregnant. You can do it, Sales said. Okay. Uh, that woman puts me to shame. Like, oh, yes. if I was scheduled to get induced, I'd be like, sorry, I'm not going to graduation. She scheduled her inducement for right after the ceremony. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah. All right. Number four. This 83-year-old has another tough mutter under her belt. Oh, man. Ooh, this is impressive. Can I just tell you that I just misread that in my mind before I read it correctly? And I thought it said tough murder. And I was like, what oh, are we oh, about to talk about? What is this story? <laughs> Muddy Mildred is her name and getting dirty is her game. Mildred Wilson, age 83, completed her third Tough Mudder event earlier this month, finishing the Missouri 5K event. The Missouri resident is the oldest person ever to complete a grueling Tough Mudder obstacle course. She said, I just enjoy them. Oh, I've always man. enjoyed competition. Wilson said that after watching her son Danny compete in Tough Mudder, she didn't want to stay on the sidelines anymore. She finished her first course at age 80 and completed her second as a tribute to her late husband, Farrell. This time around, Wilson used the event to raise money to install a freshwater well in Africa, bringing in nearly $3,000. 
She enjoys being active and staying on her toes and hopes other people see what she's doing and give it a shot themselves. There's a lot of people who think that as they get older, that they just have to sit down mm. and quit. It's not so. Okay. Whoa. You, you, you just said being put to shame. That lady did it as well. Yeah, she definitely did it on many levels. One, she did a Tough mutter. Two, it was her third. Three, she gave money to Africa. That's brought right. in a water well. All right. Yep. She gets all the awards, all the, all the uh, jewels in her crown. Okay. Number five. This is the last story. Preschoolers auction off their works of art to help make a wish. Thanks to the kids at Learning Experience Preschools across the United States, a lot of wishes are about to be granted. In April, the preschools launched a campaign to raise money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which helps fulfill the wishes of children with critical illnesses. With the help of the characters Charity Chihuahua and Grace the Greyhound, learning experienced teachers gave their students lessons on philanthropy, kindness, and inclusion. Rachel Phillips, a teacher at the Learning Experience in New Albany, Ohio, told Spectrum News 1, it's important for her students to learn empathy alongside numbers and letters. It's the size of your heart that matters and not just your ability to do certain things, she said. It's just about kindness and what you can do for other people. The students in her class were able to meet some children from the Make-A-Wish program, and for their fundraiser, they made art that donors bid on during a silent auction. Collectively, learning experience locations across the U.S. raised more than $1.5 million for Make-A-Wish. Isn't that awesome? That's crazy. That's crazy. Unbelievable. I feel like, well, this may also puts me to shame because I don't know if my kids have ever like done anything to raise money for Make-A-Wish. So, man. It wasn't all bad news, but it might have put us to shame. That's the, <laughs> exactly. that's the theme of today. We, this should be called convicting news is what this should be called. <laughs> that's right. Be a better human after reading exactly. these stories. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.